Welcome, and thank you for listening to the New Day Podcast. We are located in South Kansas City, proclaiming the good news of God's grace to our region and abroad. If you'd like more information, please visit our website, newdaykc.org. This is such a massive topic, and I've known for a couple of weeks that I was supposed to talk about it, and this seemed like a good week to do so. How I view forgiveness now, I was thinking about those uh, as I was singing, how it says, we just sang, you, you parted the sea so I could walk right through it. And I thought, you know, that's exactly what God is doing. That's what he did. I am, I am walking through a parted sea, and the pathway that I am on is called the grace of God. And it brings me into the promised land, and there is no other way to get there. I can't cross the sea of the law. I, I cannot do this thing on my own. I, I grew up I grew up in a, a church, that, a Bible church. So you can imagine what they taught. <laughs> a lot of the Bible. And I had to memorize a lot of the Bible, and... As a child, I took it very much to heart. But when you read the Bible without the filter of grace, it seems like there are a lot of what you have to do things, of what you have to do, how you have to do it. And I can sure understand the plight of the Israelites when Jesus came in and ramped up the law. Okay, the law is right. Psalm 19, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimonies of the Lord are sure making wise the simple. And David said they're much to be desired. Knowing these things, they convert you, they change you. How well did David do that? How well did anybody do it? Well, my whole life, I learned the law. I learned what the Bible said as a a kid. And I found myself rebelling against the very thing that I believed was the truth. Now, let me back up a little bit and tell you about my life. I'm always a little bit concerned about how much to share because I don't want to drag all the family dynamics out into the light as I've drugged them through the mud. But sometimes you kind of have to so you can paint an accurate picture. I grew up in a very religious family. Okay, we went to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and anything else that was required in between. And I memorized copious amounts of scripture. And I had a God-fearing mom And by fearing, I mean fearing. And she loved God. She taught us to the best of her ability. And I had a dad who believed it, but was deeply, deeply and tragically broken. You know, now in my 60s, I look back and I go, I wonder if he was mentally ill. That would be my best diagnosis that would be my gracious diagnosis. Because if he wasn't mentally ill, he's meaner than a junkyard dog. 
and sadistic, brutal. And we grew up, myself, I was the oldest of three, and my two brothers, petrified. I was terrified. And, of course, you can imagine, depending on personality types, we, we develop a protection or a persona to grapple with this. Well, my personality was strong. I developed a fixation on, this is going to sound weird, but on Native Americans, on Indians. And I was going to be an Indian because they didn't flinch under torture. And that's what I sculpted myself as. I was an Indian boy, in fact, because boys were stronger than girls, and I did not want to identify with girls. Do you see the beginning of a problem here? Okay. I, I became unflinching inside. I don't know what happened to that little girl. But she had to disappear because she wouldn't have survived. My brothers didn't survive real well because they didn't have the same grit of temperament, and it's done a whole other line of things to them. But as you can imagine, what came along with this brutality was unflinching hatred as well. There's a reason that people can do horrible things to other people because they killed the child inside of them. They had to bottle up that kid, shut them up, and they had to go away because you have to be strong to survive things. And when you're strong, you can hate. And hate does ugly things. By the time I was 12, I remember at one point looking up from the piano and my dad was going on about something stupid because that's the only way he knew how to talk. And he was blithering and I looked up and I thought, you have not got the foggiest comprehension of human beings. You don't understand them. You don't understand anything. You are stupid. And contempt wrapped itself around my heart. I had such deep antipathy and contempt for him. And it colored everything about me. Now there's a flip side of me. It was the person who loved Jesus. I got saved when I was five. Everything my mom told me about Jesus, boy, I believed it. And when I was five and six, I'd shut myself in the closet and pray. And, and I knew Jesus met me. I felt his presence. I knew he was real. But by the time I'd hit my teens, I was really wishing he would leave me alone so I could hate effectively, so I could act out of that hate. Because if you got Jesus breathing down your neck, it's hard to hate. And so I, I remember even writing a poem about, please leave me alone to Jesus. <laughs> yeah, I was, uh, he had me. Okay, but right then I was practicing hate. And 
by the time I was 18, you know, I had watched a lot. I used to run out of the house holding my ears because of hearing my brother's screams. The emotional pain, that was the one that hurt me. I remember wondering how a father could beat his children till they were bloody and black and blue. I was embarrassed to undress in gym class. How does a man beat his children like that? So it wasn't just for me that I had to carry this thing. It was for my brothers, my mom. I remember screaming for her to quit trying to stop my dad from hitting me because it made it worse. Well, by the time I was 17, the Jesus movement was full tilt. It was in the 70s. Some Jesus freaks came to my school, Tom and Bill Barlow. Some of you probably know them. Man, they preached Jesus like I'm pretty sure (laughs) James and Peter were out there. And it just undid me. I knew it was what I, I was waiting for that. And I wrote my dad a letter at about the time that I decided I had to, I needed to forgive him. And my whole life, my mom had said to me, you just need to love your dad. You just need to forgive your dad. You know, the law, the law of you must, you must love him. If you don't forgive him, you won't be forgiven. That scared me. I mean, fear is a big, fat motivator in Christianity when it's used improperly, when Christianity is used improperly. And I didn't understand grace at that point in time. But I got, I got wooed back to God, and I knew I needed to forgive my dad because I got this realization that my rebellion was as wrong as the things he was doing in the sight of God under the law. I mean, rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, right? Okay, so that was a pretty big one in my sight. And I wrote my dad a letter, and I asked him to forgive me for rebelling. That was a huge deal for me. I got no reply. I wondered if it had even made him feel justified. But it was kind of hard to work up a whole lot of affection or love. (laughs) And I failed really badly on that whole love, love never fails part. I failed. I, I failed in loving him. I stood up to my dad. Now, my dad was a grudge holder. We found out when he, we had taken him to chemo one time, he was dying of cancer. Lloyd, he was sitting in the front seat with Lloyd, and I was in the back seat, and he said, I bet you don't know I've held a grudge against you for 20 years. And Lloyd's like, No. And he told Lloyd something that he had done that had made him angry 20 years earlier. And Lloyd was absolutely right and justified. I was there at the time, but it made my dad mad, and he'd held a grudge for 20 years. He had grudges against everybody. Can you imagine living with that 
grudges against everybody? He was eat up inside. Well, I'm pretty sure he had a big fat grudge against me. Because the only way I could talk to my dad was at 100,000 decibels. So when I would get mad enough, I would scream in his face about why he treated my mother like he did. Why didn't he divorce her so she could have a life? It seemed like that was the only thing he could hear was me screaming. Now... We hurt other people, whether it's our intentional behavior, retaliation, manipulation, or whatever. That cycle continues, doesn't it? I was hurt. I hurt. Hurt people hurt people, don't they? Like, how do you get out of that cycle? How can I love someone who's brutalized me because I'm told to by 1 Corinthians 13. Have any of you ever had a problem with that? (laughs) Didn't work well for me. God's desire is to bring restoration, love, liberty, healing, and often this requires forgiveness because you can't go back and undo what they did to you or what you did to someone else. The thing we find is that if we are hurt, we hurt other people. And then we're just as guilty as the person who hurt us. You know, and the Bible makes a lot of statements. In Romans, Paul said, Who are you to judge another man's servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God alone is able to make him stand. God alone, huh? God alone enables us to stand. We're not supposed to judge. If I demand judgment, I place myself in the position or the place of God as judge. And then I've got to judge myself as well and require that I pay for my sins as well. I don't really want to pay for my sins. I want to be understood and and forgiven. I had a reason I did the things I did because you know what happened to me. I don't know what happened to him. But I know I've been as guilty as sin. <laughs> In Romans one twenty nine, Paul talks about what the people are filled with, what people are filled with. He says, with all unrighteousness. Hmm, check. Sexual immorality. Oh, check. Wickedness. Half a check. Covetousness. Yeah, check, check. Maliciousness, mm, half a check. Envy, half a check. Murder, mm, check, 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 check. Strife, deceit, evil-mindedness, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, check. Check, 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 check. Those who practice such things are deserving of death. Therefore, you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are who judge. For in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. And you who judge practice the same thing. 
Oh. But we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. And do you think this, O man, you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? I had a problem with that verse because I judged and I judged and I judged. And you know, my whole life as a believer, I knew I needed to forgive. So I would, I would work up as much forgiveness as I could muster inside of me. Because, you know, I got married and I moved away from the situation, so it wasn't as bad. I grew up. I could understand things differently. But I couldn't. I, I heard messages that said, just keep forgiving, keep forgiving, keep forgiving, keep forgiving. Eventually it will take hold and you'll actually forgive. And as believers, we know that forgiveness is the way Jesus taught us to deal with injustice. The injustice shown to us. And to let him deal with the person that hurts us. But I also know that Jesus is not uncaring and he's not the letter of the law. Even though he's the one who wrote it. He's the righteous judge. He's not uncaring for the journey that it takes for us to actually receive the place where we are understanding of the grace of God that has been shown to us. And we realize we are inside him. If I put it on me to forgive, I couldn't do it very well. And what do you do when the person just keeps hurting you? Let me tell you what happened. My dad got cancer. This was 20 years ago. And he got an aggressive form of cancer that took him down pretty quickly. And right before he went to the hospital... My mom had called me, and she said, I need you to come over. Your dad can't get up. He's paralyzed. He's paralyzed. She was freaking out. It was scary. He couldn't get up. He couldn't go to the bathroom. And uh, so Lloyd and I went over there, and my dad, who had been a very strong man, you know, was just thin, bad color, laying in bed. And he was weak. And he said... Well, if I've ever done anything to hurt you, whether it was your fault or mine, I want you to forgive me. It would have been better if he'd said nothing because that was such... It was another one right across the face. Whether it was my... That's not the apology I wanted. I wanted him to understand. I wanted him to understand what he'd done to me. What he'd done to my family. What a liar he was. What a hypocrite he was. And he said, whether it was my fault or his. And I just looked at him and I started crying. 
And he said, I didn't mean to make you cry. And I thought, yeah, that's the story of my life, isn't it? You do something stupid and I cry. So dad goes to the hospital. And I'm, I have a dilemma. Because he's getting close to the end. And my brothers, apparently, he'd asked them to forgive him. I talked to my one brother on the phone. He goes, well, did dad ask you to forgive him? And I said, uh, not really. And he said, well, he did me. We talked about it. And, and honestly, my brother was abused far worse than I was. Or differently. And I thought, how can you so glibly forgive him? And so, my mom had wanted to go down to the hospital. And this was just around the time that we had purchased the house that we got right now in Belton. And if, if you've ever seen this house, I mean, this was like a miracle from God. I knew that we had to move to Belton because my mom lived there. I knew she was going to need us to take care of her because she's not healthy. And we have never, we have never uh, had to look for property. God has always directed us straight to it. We had, we had driven, driven out through Belton to look at this house that was near our house, and we looked at it and went, uh-uh. and drove around the corner in the realtor. We drove past this house, and I said, that's the house I want. And the realtor said, oh, she said, let's go look in the windows of that place. She said, you know, one time they had that on the market, and then they took it off. Well, we went back, and the people weren't home, so we <laughs> looked in the windows. <laughs> oh, my gosh, my dream home. Dream home, dream home, dream home. And old country house, you know, it was just, it needed some massive fixing up. There was no door in the garage. It had problems. She said, let's put our card on the, on the door and see what happens. Well, that night, the lady called and said, well, we are we are thinking we're going to move here, so we will give you a one-time showing. Well, what I hadn't told you is we had had a big influx of money. I found out that my dad had been with, withholding a, an inheritance from me that my grandfather had given me when he died, and my dad kept it. <laughs> well, my mom forced him to tell me, so that was part of it. We'd sold our other house, made some money on it. Long story short, we had enough to make a 20% down payment. Now, the house didn't cost a lot, but oh my gosh, it was, it was so wonderful, and I was so elated about this house because it was big, and we were doing master's commission, and you could easily fit 40, 40 people in this house and move them around. The, it was just perfect. Okay, so I had gone to the hospital to see my dad, No, actually, I didn't do that. I went to the hospital to pick up my mom who had gone to see my dad. I wasn't going to go see him. That's, I couldn't be alone in a room with him. That's too scary. Well, I went down to the hospital, and my grandma had come and got my mom. So there I am, alone in a room with my dad. And I, I didn't know what to say. So I talked about my house and how wonderful it was. And he said, 
you better be careful. I'm like, what? He's, he says, you're going to have to apologize to God. I said, what? He said, for having a house bigger than him. I mean, it gut punched me so badly. I just said, I got to go. I walked out. I walked down to the parking lot and I went, God, I, I have tried to forgive him. For most of my life, I, I've lost this battle. I don't know how to forgive someone who keeps hitting me. And he hit me again. I'm trying to share joy, and he's gut-punching me. You've got to help me because I don't want to lose this. I don't want to lose this victory. I don't want to lose this. I don't want him to die and me having not been able to forgive him. And I just sat there and cried. If God's word is true, then I must be failing horribly because I couldn't love. I Love, I was having a problem forgiving. So I go home, and I'm hurting. Okay, so a couple of days pass, a week passes, and I wake up one morning, and I started thinking about what my dad was facing. Now, my theology at the time, remember, was I I hadn't discovered what Jesus had done for me in grace. And I started thinking about, if you don't forgive, you won't be forgiven. And I started thinking about all the people my dad hadn't forgiven and that he was facing hell. And all of a sudden this staggering realization of my dad literally standing on the brink of eternity, leaning over hell, starts hitting me. The enormity of his offense before God toward his children, toward his wife, toward other family members, toward other people at work. Just, I can't even tell you the stories But the enormity of his offense before God, according to the law, was serious. And all of a sudden, something came over me, and I did not want him to go to hell in the worst possible way. I wanted my dad to get forgiven. And I just started praying with everything in me. God, and I started using scripture for God. You said that if if we loose the sin of any, it's loosed. And I said, I want my dad to be able to come into heaven as though he'd never sinned, ever. Come in as though he were a baby, that innocent. Let him be completely forgiven. Don't lay anything against his charge. And I mean, I pled with God with tears, and I meant it. I did not want him to go to hell. It was, it was an eye-opener for me because I understood the smallness of my offense compared to, with the enormity of eternity in hell. And I prayed this with all of my energy, and when I stopped... The Holy Spirit spoke to me and he said, 
Now you're doing what I do. And I, I was just stunned. All of a sudden I realized what it was that Jesus had done for me. He'd done it for my dad. He'd done it for everybody. He forgave us unequivocally and said, let them come in, absolutely innocent. And then the phone rang. I answered the phone, and it was my mom. And she said, Brenda, your dad's too sick to come to the phone, but he wanted me to call you and ask your forgiveness. I mean, this happened within 15 seconds The grace of God had let me out of jail. And it had moved something in the spirit realm that had blocked my dad. It blocked me. It was unforgiveness. The grace of God came to me. And I was in Jesus. Now I look back and I go, I can't love I can't forgive. I can't do anything until I understand I'm in Jesus. He forgives. And I'm in him. So I can forgive. It's not the letter of the law or the fear of God that enables us to forgive. It's the realization that we are in him as he forgives them. And because he forgives We too can forgive. Our context has changed. Jesus ramped up the law in the the Gospels. What he talked to the Pharisees, what he said to them about how you had to behave to keep the law, he took it from zero to a thousand. Here's the law. Here's absolute perfection. This is what you have to keep to please God. If you don't forgive, you can't get forgiven. That's perfection. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. What goes around comes around. The law is right, but we're not under the law because we couldn't do it. It doesn't change the law. It changes the fact somebody had to pay for sin. Everything my dad did wrong, somebody paid for. So, everything that I did, somebody paid for too. Everything that every one of us did. Maybe you didn't think you did bad things, but the law is perfection. It says all have sinned and fall short. I understand now the only way that I can love is when I have a deep, deep understanding of how absolutely forgiven and loved I am. It's funny how we can excuse our sins and retain the sins of another. But the grace of God comes and excuses them all. He doesn't exactly excuse them. He actually paid for them. Somebody had to pay for the sin. So by the grace of God, we understand 
if I'm in Jesus, I can draw on that forgiveness that he had for me. I can draw on that love. I'm in him. This is not an impossibility anymore. This is my reality. I can love because I am loved. It says we love him because he first loved us. And God loves us as we are. My dad was a broken believer. He believed in Jesus. Something prevented him from entering in to what God had for him. There's so many Christians walking around trying to do it on their own. We can't. There's so many verses, and I'm not going to read them all now. I kind of just threw out my notes and talked. There's so many verses that talk about the absolute forgiveness that we have. Redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, and you being dead in your trespasses, me being dead in my trespasses and the uncircumcision of my own flesh, he made alive together with him, having forgiven me all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he's taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross having nailed it to his own body. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Years later, probably five years later, Lloyd and I were at the movies, and I saw this man sitting in the concourse of the, of the mall, and the guy looked like my dad, I mean, it was so bizarre, and he was sitting by himself, sitting on a bench, bent over, kind of had his head in his hands, and he turned over and looked up at me. I don't know what the guy was thinking about, maybe his lunch, I don't know, but he looked at me with such a sorrow, such a hollowness, and it looked like my dad. It was all I could do to get out of that place and cry before, you know, before I could just dissolve into a pool of sorrow for what my dad missed, for what he missed. It wasn't hate anymore. It was sorrow. We can have so much more. Unforgiveness is such a blockage. God wants to heal us. We're the beneficiaries of that grace. We're the beneficiaries of of being forgiving. We're the ones who get the benefit of forgiving. It's not the other person who hurt us. Often they don't know and they don't care. They live their lives. But we're the ones saddled with the pain they did to us. And God is not a God of retribution. He is not coming to kick their butts. He's coming to heal everyone who will come to him and go, I need you to heal me. And the way into healing 
is through his forgiveness. He forgave them. And we have to go through that broken body. We have to go through those nail prints and that spear wound in his side. We have to go through it and get into him. And when we do, then the forgiveness benefits us. We're the ones who grow. We're the ones who have life poured into us. We're the ones who can move forward and experience the love and the acceptance and the ability to let go of other people's trespasses against us. That's that's the massive benefit of forgiveness is we get unblocked. We get unstuck. We get to move forward. God heals. He wants to heal them. He, but he heals us when we forgive. And that's <laughs> that I could feel empathy and pathos down the road was a gift from God to me. The ice was thawing. The glacier had melted. I got spring inside my heart, even if it snows in March. I carry that with me. I carry forgiveness with me because I'm in forgiveness. I'm in love. I'm in joy and peace and all of those things. So this morning, I invite you. <laughs> I, I hope I've made sense because I came in kind of on a wing and a prayer. If you have someone in your life that you have trouble forgiving, understand this is to your benefit to forgive them. And don't assume that your willpower can help you. You have to, of course, set your mind and your will toward that. But understand you are in Jesus and he will forgive them through you if you let him. He will come through you. And as he forgives... The dam gets broken. That water rushes through you, and it cleanses you. That's a good thing. So I'm going to invite you this morning. If you've got a place of forgiveness, even if it's a little one, do you want any blockage? Whether it was your dad or your boss or your sibling or your mate or your children, whether it was someone who hit your car and flipped you off like you did it. I mean, we've all got these gobs of little nasty things that hit, hit us weekly. We can live with a river rushing through us. So let's invite that river this morning. I invite you to invite the Holy Spirit to forgive through you. Let's pray. Jesus, you were the one who was offended. You were the one who was sinned against. You were the one who was falsely accused. You were the one who was treated horribly by this creation that you created and meant good toward, meant love toward. And you forgave in your own body while you were hanging there. 
And you asked, Father, to forgive us because we didn't understand what we were doing. And now that you've allowed us to be in you, in fact, you invited us, you compelled us. You've bought us. We are in you. And today, we choose forgiveness. We understand that's the first step in our healing. Is we choose what you did for us. We choose you. We choose you for your forgiveness to operate through us to those who have hurt us and offended us and taken pieces of us. Please forgive them through us. And we agree that this forgiveness is good. And we ask for your restoration. We ask for your healing to come to us and then to go to them. Would you heal us? Would you heal us and help us live in this place of your forgiveness, which always is interceding for us, which is always loving us, which is always forgiving us. You are always being our high priest, pleading our cause by your own blood. So Jesus, we live in that. Let that water wash out of us any remnants of unforgiveness and fill those places with your love. Thank you for being mindful of our weakness. Thank you for being mindful of our frailty and our humanity and inviting us. We couldn't meet demands. But we say yes to this invitation. We thank you. We thank you. We thank you that you restore. You restore that child. You restore. And we get filled up with you. Those deficits, those craters. You rush in and you fill them. Thank you. This morning we worship you as you have brought us into this place, this place of forgiveness and agreement with how wonderful it is that you would pay for my sin and theirs too. We worship you for that. Thank you. In Jesus' name.